It's the DEH Podcast, episode number 151. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So the big news up here is something that you probably would take just in stride down there. We had six inches of snow on. Well, uh, we wouldn't take it in stride. We'd be thrilled. I've, we haven't had any snow. Um, I mean, we yeah, technically had a dusting once. Yeah, once. <laughs> once <laughs> this year. Yeah. So um, as you can imagine, it's a good thing that happened Christmas and between Christmas and New Year's because, you know, half an inch or an inch will shut Seattle down. That's pretty easy. So there wasn't a whole lot going on, but it's been kind of fun. I just just got back in from taking the dogs out. The dogs love the snow, um, which is interesting, you know, when, the, when their bellies are three inches off the ground and <laughs> yeah. the snow is six inches high, uh, it can pose some problems. Um, that also got turned into, oh, while we're out here, uh, we also ended up feeding the horse that lives on our property. We have somebody who boards their horse with us. And uh, normally they or someone, you know, they or their designated agent, I guess, come out and, you know, take care of the horse every day or every other day. But because of the snow and because of the fact that we live on a hill, um, uh, getting here can be kind of treacherous at times. So we didn't, we didn't push the issue and just sort of, Okay, yeah, sure. We can we can throw some hay at the horse, um, <laughs> and and the horse will be happy, and and you know he'll live he'll live another day. So yeah, that's that's basically been our excitement for the past few uh, uh, few days, actually. Mm. How about going on down there, other than no snow, no snow, I, and it rained on Christmas Eve. So <laughs> I can't remember the last time that happened. Just rain, regular yeah, rain, our wet Christmas. Uh, yes, I, it's just it's yeah. So we've switched places apparently. Um, which it's really bizarre. bizarre. Yep. For, fortunately, the mountains, you know, the ski resorts are getting snow. It's just uh, we're not here in Denver. Right. Um, so we're not holding up to the myth that has never really been true that Denver gets a lot of snow. It doesn't. But uh, we do get some. Right, 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 right. <laughs> just not this year. Yeah. So Yeah. And it's I posted on my personal Facebook the other day that um, our low temperature Oh gosh, I want to say yesterday or the day before, it was like 14, right? They're using mm-hmm. our, um, we've got a little weather station. Our high temperature this year in June was 108, which was an all time record high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we've got an all time record high, um, a record setting low. It wasn't an all time low, but it was for that date a record. Um, so, yeah, we've been dealing with extremes here. We've almost gotten 100 degrees of separation between, uh, yeah. between, between top and bottom. So, wow. Anyway, so I got to say, uh, in looking at the notes that we've accumulated for today's topic, <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this might be the longest set of notes we have ever done for this podcast. I don't know if it's a, a reflection of just how uh, prepared we are, because I can't say that I feel particularly prepared, but or or just how, how passionate and or frustrated we are with, with aspects of the topic. Okay. The topic, of course, is NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and we'll define that here in a couple of minutes. But I got to start with um, like the biggest, fattest disclaimer you can ever think of. Um, basically, um, the best thing to do is assume that neither Gary nor I know what we're talking about. Uh, this is all based on opinion, some research, some discussions with, with some trusted friends, um, but it is in no way to be taken as 
recommendations or investment advice or or anything along those lines. Uh, listen and you know listen at your own risk is kind of sort of the the mantra here. Uh, it's just because this is such a a, a bizarre area uh, right now that um, you know we got to. I want to talk about it absolutely. I want to talk about it, but uh, I also don't want to get in trouble if somebody uh, believes what I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, yeah. So, Leo, tell us about NFTs. So, to start, what we need to do, I want to. I was thinking the best way to think about this, to to break this up a little bit, is to talk first about the technology. I mean, this is a technology podcast, and honestly, it's the technology that has me the most excited about this kind of stuff. And then we can talk about what they're doing with the technology and um, how how wacky that particular part is. So. NFTs, what we have to do is we have to start with some background technology. And what we're going to start with is, of all things, cryptography, public key cryptography, to be specific. Um, In my opinion, public key cryptography is, gosh, the unsung hero of the internet. Um, It is one of those technologies that is a little heard of little appreciated, but absolutely fundamental to making the internet work, to make it a a platform on which we can uh, safely and securely buy things, access our bank, all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about cryptography first and build into just what public key cryptography is, because it is a little magical. I look at cryptography and I see three different kinds what I call algorithmic cryptography, where there's no key, there's just an algorithm. If you know the algorithm, then you can decode or encode um, an encrypted message. Uh, A great example that a lot of old timers will remember is something called ROT13. ROT13 takes advantage of the fact that the English language alphabet has 26 characters. So one way to quote unquote encrypt a message is to take each character and then pick the character that is 13 characters higher than that one character in the list and then wrap around um, at the end to the beginning. Um, It's, it's to call it encryption is a bit of a stretch. It's really just obfuscation, but a good uh, usage scenario that used to see all the time on Usenet. If you remember Usenet is uh, spoilers. It was a way to be able to type in a message like, hey, I just finished watching watching Soylent Green and spoiler, then you'd have these these garbage text, this this ROT13 encoded text. That way the person reading your message can decide whether or not they want to understand the spoiler, be exposed to the spoiler or not, simply by either ignoring and just saying, okay, I'm going to move on or running the ROT13 algorithm on that um, encrypted text. You mean, you mean sort of the green, the movie that starts claiming that the year is 2022. 22. Yes. Yes. That's why, (laughs) that's why it came to mind. Finally find out exactly where the green is next year. Um, And, uh, and you know, a lot of the messenger email programs, news group readers had ROT13 actually built in. So that's algorithmic. Symmetric cryptography is something that I think everybody's pretty familiar with. And that's where you take a bunch of data, you use a password or passphrase, and that then is used in some fairly fancy math to encrypt the data. And then on the receiving end, you can decrypt the data using that same password, using essentially the same math, kind of, sort of, almost in reverse. 
So if you've got the data and you've got the password, you can you know, encrypt or decrypt the data as you see fit. Public key cryptography is magic. It is, as far as I'm concerned, absolute magic. Rather than picking a password or an encryption key, what you do is you generate, using a tool, a pair of keys. I'll call them key A and key B. They're related in a very, very special way. And that is that if you encrypt data using key A, it can only be decrypted using key B. And vice versa, if you encrypt something using key B, then you can only decrypt it using key A because they are a matched pair. Now you can imagine, I, I just said that the math for uh, symmetric cryptography, password cryptography um, was pretty fantastic, pretty convoluted, but this is truly the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> if you start to understand exactly the kind of math that goes on to uh, what's called asymmetric cryptography. The asymmetry is simply that the key you use to encrypt something is different than the key you use to decrypt it. Now, that enables a couple of interesting use cases. The one we're most familiar with is HTTPS. Um, that is, uh, and it's called public key cryptography because what you can do with these things is uh, you, you make one of those two keys public. You just post it publicly where anybody can get it. You keep the other one private. You keep it a, as a secret key. Now, what this means is if you encrypt something, then people can positively confirm that you were the one encrypting it by being able to decrypt it using your public key. If they can't decrypt it, then it wasn't you. It didn't come from you, no matter what it claimed. As long as it was encrypted using your secret key, then it's only your public key that can decrypt it, and that then confirms you were the one to have encrypted it using this uh, private key. The other side is also true. Somebody can say, you know what? I want to send some data that only Leo can see. So I'm going to encrypt it using his public key because it's public. Anybody can encrypt something using my public key. Only I can decrypt it because only I have that decryption key uh, that I've kept private. So that's a way to confirm that only your intended recipient can actually see the data that you've encrypted. Now, I alluded to this as being fundamental to HTTPS because it is. It's the same kind of idea. There's a public key for every website. There's a private key that every website keeps um, that's installed on the web server. And in order to encrypt something successfully when you send things back and forth through HTTPS, there's many layers here, but one of the important layers is this reliance on public keys. So now we've got, we've got this layer of encryption. We understand how public key encryption kind of sort of works. Next, we need to move on to the blockchain. Um, that's a very loaded word these days. You hear it a lot. Honestly, the blockchain, while it is technically very complex, at a very high level, it's super, super simple. A blockchain is nothing more than a record of transactions. A ledger is the word you hear used mm -hmm. 
all the time. And that's because it's very much like a bookkeeping ledger, a ledger that you might have, you know, an accountant might have, or that a business might have, that simply records all of the transactions and in their case keeps track of who owes what to who and who paid what and what the running balance is and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is it's nothing more than a record of transactions. It's a ledger. The blockchain is public, meaning that anybody can see it. For example, if you wanted to, you could examine every um, Bitcoin transaction since the very first one, because the entire blockchain is, in fact, public. It's secure. And I say that in with two respects. One of them is that it is not possible to forge an entry on the blockchain, because that would break the blockchain. It would actually never happen. It's not something that can be done. Once something gets added to the blockchain, it's added in such a way that any attempt to forge an entry, to change an entry, would be immediately detected and discarded. Similarly, you can't alter a previous uh, entry. It would be immediately uh, detected and discarded. Now, one of the ways that it is safe is that it is what they call decentralized. There is no single machine on which the blockchain lives. It's distributed, decentralized, they like to call it, across probably in the case of Bitcoin's um, a blockchain, hundreds of thousands of computers around the planet, which means if you wanted to, if you wanted to forge, for example, an entry in the blockchain, you would have to actually have access to all hundreds of thousands of computers at exactly the same time to make exactly the same change. Uh, that's pretty darn unlikely. The, um, the other thing though, is that it's incredibly resilient. Uh, if one country decides that it no longer wants block or a Bitcoin, for example, to be in within its borders, Bitcoin doesn't die. Bitcoin servers live everywhere. So all the rest of the servers live on. When you add your machine, if you want to become a participant in the blockchain and what's called mining, which is not something I'm going to talk about right now, but I've talked about it in the past, um, then your machine will get a copy of pretty much the entire blockchain uh, as part of its record, which means that it's like the ultimate form of backup. The blockchain, the data that is the blockchain uh, is replicated across hundreds of thousands of computers. They all agree on what the blockchain should be before anything is added to the blockchain. And there's simply no way that the blockchain itself is ever going to go away without um, having like the majority of those hundreds of thousands of computers go away themselves. So that's the blockchain. Like I said, it's just mm. a digital record of transactions. And the reason I mentioned public key cryptography is because, of course, that is what keeps the blockchain secure. Various pieces of the blockchain, including its forward links, its backward links, um, it's the information within it, um, the part that keeps individuals private. In other words, it doesn't put my name in there, but it puts um, you know, a cryptographic token that uh, only I have the private key to be able to access. Um, that's what keeps it all secure and what keeps it private and what keeps it um, from being uh, just a public record of, you know, Leo's got this much kind of money in, in the blockchain. I don't. Uh, some, <laughs> ra some random uh, cryptographic token that I happen to have access to and only I have access to uh, is represented in the blockchain. To be clear, one of the reasons it's called a blockchain is that it is a chain of blocks. Each time uh, data gets added, it's not... Uh, each individual transaction doesn't get added by itself. They're 
collected into blocks. And then when the block is full, then it goes to this process of adding it to the blockchain, which involves mining and the agreement of all these other different computers and so forth. But it is a chain of block and each block points to or has a reference to the next block. And I believe it's doubly linked so that each block also has a reference to or a pointer to the block that preceded it. But it is just a long list of blocks that contain a long list of transactions. Hmm. Now, NFTs. Um, Non-fungible token, which means we have to define fungible for the umpteenth time. By now, I suspect that a lot of people have heard the term and maybe even understand what it is, but I have to to talk about it here. Fungible means that something is ultimately replaceable or exchangeable or not unique. The canonical example um, is a dollar. If I have a dollar bill and you and I trade you for another dollar bill, neither of us have lost anything. We each have a dollar. Uh, the dollar bill is a representation of some money, uh, or it could simply be, you know, I get four quarters in exchange for my dollar. Either way, the dollar itself, the dollar bill itself, isn't conceptually unique as a form of currency. However, fungible, it that by definition means that it's fungible, it's 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 exchangeable, it's replaceable, it's it's not necessarily unique. Non-fungible, of course, then means exactly the opposite. It's unique. It is not something that can be duplicated. It is not something that can be copied. It is by definition, a unique thing. In the real world, the canonical example is the Mona Lisa. There's only one. There's only going to be one. Uh, No matter how many copies are ever made, they're all not going to be the original. They're all going to be different. They will all differ in some way. Um, Even if we can't tell that it's a forgery, for example, it's still not the original. It's still not the one. Uh, In Highlander terminology, there can be only one. So there's this thing that's unique. And you add it to a blockchain. So one of the transactions that gets added to the ledger, properly encrypted, is a thing that is the NFT. And that's where things get weird. Inside of the NFT, what's in there? What does it really represent? What does it really hold? I don't know that I've gotten a clear answer yet. Hmm. However, um, there is at least, for example, a reference to another thing. For example, the story we keep hearing, of course, are people that are buying NFTs of JPEGs. So by definition, somehow that NFT says, yep, I apply to this JPEG whether the NFT actually carries a copy of the JPEG or hash of the JPEG or just some verbiage that everybody agrees means the JPEG, doesn't matter. The NFT somehow relates to the JPEG. Um, A more canonical example might be um, uh, an NFT could be considered a certificate or a title to something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, This is not how it works, but for example, you could generate an NFT of the Mona Lisa. If you were the person who owns the Mona Lisa, you would be authorized to do so. Uh, 
And you could decide that that NFT is the record of ownership of this other physical thing in the real world. So you've got this public, um, um, unforgeable, unalterable record of, yep, I just sold the Mona Lisa to Leo. It only works because you own the Mona Lisa, right? Nobody else can do this. That's mm -hmm. when you take a look at it in the real world, there's a real Mona Lisa that only a certain person or a certain organization um, can act actually has the authority to transact with. But instead of a bunch of literal paperwork being filed in an office somewhere, it's conceivable that one could make the transaction as an NFT. So, like I said, this is where things get weird. Because NFTs, apparently, don't necessarily include ownership of the thing. Yes. This they, is where... It's like, this is where it gets yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, this is where I think a ton of people misunderstand what an NFT is. Right. And... I mean, it could, right? You could make, uh, make the NFT... The official record of ownership, kinda. But you don't. I mean, you have to could, but you still have to believe in it. <laughs> well, that's, um, a, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I, I, but that's true of everything, right? I yes. mean, which is to me where kind of my, I, I guess, I feel I, I get a grasp on the technical standpoint. You know, the technical parts of blockchain and yep. NFTs. Yep. I just don't get a handle on the real world real world applications outside of some very specific things and those specific things are not what people are talking about when they talk about nfts people are talking about digital art all the time now right i could definitely see the use for the blockchain for instance to be a decentralized way to register ownership of things like say property yes or or you know uh, perhaps art perhaps things like that because right now ownership mostly runs through governments yes if you want to own a piece of property your deed to that property probably in the united states has the name of your state on it right you know state of washington state of colorado yep. the deed or of property in my case it's it's the county of king in the state yes. of washington exactly I mean, it's, it's it's very very centralized it's, yes um it is indeed as i mentioned earlier a ledger um, yes but the difference is, of course, it's somewhere a collection of presumably physical paper or yeah. its equivalent in digital form in the sense that it's probably a bunch of PDFs by now, or I would hope it is. But yes, the po point being, though, that it is still the paper model. It is still one place um, where all of that information is stored. And my ownership of my piece of land here is contingent on the fact that not only has it been registered, mm -hmm. but that everybody agrees that yes. that's the ownership, the way ownership is handled, right? Yes, that, that uh, enough people in King County yep. agree that you own that piece of land. Yep. If enough people in King County disagreed, that piece of paper is not going to help you much. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so it's very that's, true. And, and throughout, you know, that sounds unlikely, but throughout history, nations have changed. That's what happens and when governments collapse. Governments yes. have collapsed uh, or changed how they view ownership. For instance, going to uh, a more uh, like, you know, the formation of many of the communist or even fascist governments in the 20th century, right. a lot of times wiped out ownership 
for all the people or sometimes just some people that they didn't like. Right. Um, right. But, you know, NFTs and the blockchain, it's not specific to NFTs, but the blockchain in general can't be used for that. And a lot of times when you hear people talk about that, the, the cool thing is they say, well, it's decentralized, right? It's no longer the mm-hmm. purview of, of this government, but mm-hmm. people still need to believe that this blockchain represents this land. Yes. And if enough people do not, then the, that blockchain that has you know, your token in it saying you own this piece of land isn't worth anything, just like the piece of paper in King County right. isn't worth anything for your deed. So, so it's not absolute. It, it, it may be better is what people are saying. It may be better because it may be able to uh, be above governments, right? It may be able to, you know, you may have a land ownership blockchain at some point that doesn't rely on what country you're in. Um, and the same thing with, well, technically these pieces of digital art people are talking about, they don't, right? If you own an NFT, you own an NFT and the United States or France or Australia has nothing to say about it, right? And right, but, that but even then, like I was saying, what, what you own with that yeah. NFT is also not defined. Right, exactly. Not, and that's- Not necessarily defined because the NFT Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, the only thing you know that you own is an NFT, which is a random yeah. piece of data on a blockchain somewhere. Yep. Um, like I said, the NFT is not something that's on your machine. It's not something that you get a copy of. It is something that you can access by virtue of your being able to identify yourself with your private key to access your information or to prove that you are the owner of this random block of oh. data stored in the blockchain across hundreds of thousands of machines in the world. Right. And but- that... But yeah, but, but okay. the NFT may mean nothing. It may explicitly include something like, say, copyright. It yeah. may not. It may or may not allow you to do things with whatever the NFT references. It may not. The mere fact that an NFT exists for something does not tell you at all what you're allowed to do with that thing if you own the NFT. Owning the NFT is not the same as owning the actual, in this case, digital art that uh, it might reference. And that, I yes. think, is where people are getting so confused. I I think that uh, of the NFT crowd, the people that claim to understand something about NFT, and uh, actually more than that, the NFT crowd, the people that actually either own NFTs or are aspiring to own them soon. Um, I think a small percentage really understands everything about NFTs, very small. A larger percentage of that group Mm -hmm. doesn't. And I think that's where a lot of the price of NFTs comes from, because what I think is happening with digital art is people are misunderstanding ownership of of an NFT that represents a piece of digital art as the copyright ownership, which, as you said, it could be, right? That NFT could be defined as owning copyright, but usually, and in every case I've been able to find, does not. Interesting. So you are in a situation where, say, there's a say, there's a famous piece of digital art it was a you know a, a picture that got passed around the internet 10 years ago and you're like oh the nft for that's available it's expensive i'm rich i'm going to buy it now i own that famous 
piece of digital art, right? The problem is if that doesn't include copyright, you do own the NFT, but you can't even do so much as post that thing right. without violating the copyright. And right. you certainly can't do something like, hey, I'm going to produce a product and that's going to be the graphic that represents, you know, I'm going to use that in the game. I'm going to use that, uh, you know, as like the poster for it or paint that on the side of whatever building I'm building. You know, you, you think that you would own that, but you don't. And that I, mean, I think I, is where it's very different than owning the Mo- Mona Lisa. I got to say though, I mean, you're using absolute terms. You know, you think you own it, but you don't. You think you own it, but you might. I mean, the thing is yeah. that the terms and conditions, for lack of a better term, so to speak, um, of the NFT are created by whoever creates the NFT. And as long as they are the owner, the true owner of that piece of digital art, yeah. then they would have the right to say in the NFT, this does include copyright. You are able to now go do things. Um, or it's a license, right? It's a, You're purchasing a license to this. A li- right, a license, not or, the, you don't own it. Right, or you know any number of different things. It's So an NFT, you're right. I think a lot of people assume that an NFT of a thing implies ownership of the thing. But in reality, all an NFT of a thing uh, right. implies is a relationship to the thing of some undetermined nature. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think what's happening is a lot of the value, a lot of the money going into NFTs are people that wrongly assume that they own the thing without actually looking at those details. And in most, the vast majority, maybe close to all of those cases, they don't own it as much as they think they do, right. but they're not uh, going to ever test that. Right. They're not somebody that's like, oh, good. I've bought this image. Now I'm going to use that image to produce posters and books with that image on it and sell them. Right. They're just like, oh, I own it. And I could do that if I want, but I'm not going to. So it's never tested. And they never know that they, they don't really want it don't tested. They, they don't want yeah. it tested because well, the, down, uh, the downside is yeah. all of a sudden their thing is valueless. Right. Exactly. And I think that's what's happening a lot with. This is people don't understand you're not really buying that. You know, the example of the Mona Lisa is used a lot, and the example of baseball cards. And I'll get into that in a minute. But it, with the Mona Lisa, if you were to actually buy the thing from, I, I don't know, does the Louvre own it? Does France own it? I, whoever I, owns it, I have it, no right? idea, but let's yeah. assume that it's the Louvre. Okay, Louvre, you were to buy it from the Louvre, um, I could take it out of the Louvre and put it in another museum. I could put it in my house. I could send it into space. I could burn it, <laughs> whatever I want to do. I could also make posters of it and sell them. Now you probably could do that anyway, because copyright, you know, it's an old painting, but you know, let's say if it was a new painting or something that was copywritten, you could, you know, if you owned the painting and you had all the rights to the painting, you purchased it, then you could go and do whatever you wanted with it. But that's not the case with, uh, you know, NFTs all the time um, or any of the time, perhaps. Uh, So that's where, it's not the same as the Mona Lisa. Now, baseball cards are also, people talk about it, like, because you get into the thing, well, what's the NFT really worth, right? What's worth? Well, it's worth what people believe it's worth, right? It's the same as baseball cards. What baseball cards is just a piece of cardboard. What is it really worth, right? It's worth, this card's worth $4,000 because people believe it's worth $4,000. That's the market value for the card now, but it's really just a piece of cardboard. However, the piece of cardboard with the picture on it is a baseball card that 
has a little bit more to stand on than a NFT. And here's what I mean by that. It probably, if it's worth $4,000, it probably has a picture of a famous baseball player on it, probably in a year where they did something important and probably has some sort of rarity, like only a certain number of those cards survived from that year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably not going to change. It may change. It may came, come out that that baseball player was just a horrible racist and uh, now nobody wants that card anymore and the value of it plunges. Right. But most of the time, the famous baseball player remains famous, maybe even more so as, as they become legendary being you know further back in time. Um, the card is a good, you know, somebody's not going to suddenly discover a cache of like, oh, I found a hundred of those. You know, it's probably going to still remain rare. Baseball is still going to be popular. And baseball cards are still going to be collectible. Now, you could say the same thing about an NFT that you buy of, say, a JPEG, a famous JPEG. But if I was somebody who measured investment, I'd look at more look at it more like, well, the baseball card's probably more likely to retain its value because of all of the attributes of what makes a baseball card. Whereas the NFT, maybe, maybe that. You bought the right JPEG, and that's just going to keep getting more and more valuable. Or maybe not. Maybe 10 years, this JPEG that people care about a lot right now, people stop caring about it, and it becomes less valuable. I would still think the better investment is the baseball card, but they are both similar, at least in that you know they are what whatever it is the market will pay there for is, that thing. There is that. I, there's a there's a more fundamental difference between the two, though, Yeah. Um, at least in my mind. And I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up on. Um, let's assume that uh, there are, uh, you alluded to it, it's scarcity. Yeah. There are 100 of yeah. this particular baseball card. There will never be more. There can only be less, actually. Yes. Um, because over time, you know, fires happen, cars get lost, whatever. Right. That number is only going to go down. You could make copies of them, but they'll always be copies. They will yep. not be the original. They will be different in some respects, no matter how good a copy they are. They are still not the original 100 um, uh, uh, baseball cards. And uh, theoretically, it would always be detectable. They would be distinguishable at some point, even if not to the naked eye, perhaps to something more more uh, advanced. However, digital art isn't like that. Uh, you can make a immediate, an instant, completely identical mm-hmm. copy of anything digital without restriction. Uh, so that JPEG that you have, uh, yeah, I as soon as you po- publish it on the web, it's being copied. It's being copied to all the machines that it's being displayed on. Uh, people who happen to right-click save as are copying it to their machine for their own use, uh, irrespective of. That's where I have a lot of struggle with some of the JPEGs that have been sold at some incredibly high numbers of value uh, Mm -hmm. because ultimately like we started with you're not really buying the jpeg the jpeg's out there people are copying it over and over again so what is it you're buying what's the relationship of this of this nft to the jpeg of which there are likely only to be more copies the number of copies of that jpeg are increasing over time there is no scarcity 
uh, that's where I just, and oh. as hard as I've tried, as hard as I've yeah. tried, I have not been able to get a satisfactory answer to that question. Well, here's another example, a movie prop. Okay. A prop from a movie, they become collectible and the value of the, you know, of the collectible item, it depends on what it is, but also the movie and all sorts of things about the movie. Who was the actor that held the prop or whatever? The, the difference be, you know, and you can own that item and it actually is kind of similar in a way to NFTs in that you don't necessarily own, maybe if there's a copyright or something to the art, say if it's a statue, that was a movie prop, mm-hmm. you might not necessarily own that copyright. Like you may not be able to actually, because you own the prop, be able to make reproductions of it. I'm not sure the legality is there, but just owning the prop, you know, knowing movie studios, I'm sure that they're, they're not as simple as as just. Exactly. So so there's a similarity there in that just owning the item doesn't mean you really own that thing. Like I can't make copies of this interesting ray gun from a sci-fi movie because I'm going to get sued, even though I own the actual movie prop, which I paid a lot of money for, but there is some value in a actual physical item in that. Let's say there is a uh, an event, and it's a sci-fi event, and you've got a movie prop, and you say you can say this movie prop is going to be at this event. You could see the actual whatever at this event. There's some value in that, right? People that are fans may say, "Oh, I want to see that." Um, whereas you know, oh, but you could look at a picture of it on the internet. No, no, no. But I'm going to go see the real thing, right. right? Now, a digital NFT, there is no difference. If you own a famous JPEG and you say, I'm going to be displaying it somewhere on a computer screen and you can come and see it, you could be like, "What? why, why would I? I could just look at it on my computer screen. It's going to be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, at least, the digital art has less value than a physical object. Yes. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there's just things about it that, you know, I don't know, there are there differences. I, I, I think um, there's a lot, unfortunately, right now with NFTs, you know, all the attention's being put on to the art. Right. And of course, there's the other ways NFTs may be used that are really interesting. Yeah. So could yeah, actually been- be good. We've been we've been talking down NFTs just because, like you say, the the current yeah. publicity is all about digital art, and it doesn't really make sense yet. Um, at least not to the average consumer. The believers believe and believe hard, but the um, the average person they just you know why would I why would I spend money to purchase quote unquote um, a JPEG when I can just save the JPEG on my computer? What's exactly. the, what's what's in it well, for me? But but the technology underneath Mm -hmm. it, which is why I started with the technology, has a lot of promise for a lot of other things. Uh, We talked about, you know, like the the record of my property ownership. There are issues, I'm sure. But for example, um, what if uh, the the King County ownership records Mm -hmm. for property were in fact NFTs on a blockchain? Mm -hmm. Um, There, I mean, there's lots of, of, like I said, issues, governments, you know, it's very unlikely to happen. This is one of the slowest moving parts of, of any government. But uh, just as a thought exercise, that could actually be pretty cool because then everybody could see all their ownership records. There might be some privacy issues that could be dealt with with appropriate anonymity and, and encryption again. Uh, but 
there's just lots of different ways that this technology can be used. And part of what has me really frustrated right now um, and, and has me really beating my head against the wall sometimes is that all of this uncertainty around digital art is, I think, preventing a lot of people from accepting or understanding or being even willing to think about some of the other things that not just NFTs, but blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and other technologies of that ilk could potentially be be used for and be used for in a very, very positive way. Right. And this kind of enters into the stuff I watch a lot, which are scams. And right now, the name NFT is being used in tons of scams, right? And a lot of this around this digital artwork stuff, um, there's tons and tons of them. Some of them outright scams, like totally like you can find warning pages on different, you know, sites that warn of these things, official sites and stuff, you know, don't fall for this NFT scam and, and all of that. A lot of it is preying on people that they don't understand NFTs, but they've got FOMO, fear of missing out. Big FOMO, yes. And they're like, <laughs> oh, I missed out on the internet stock booms, both of them. And I missed out on Bitcoin. Right. And I missed out on the, you know, the the uh, stonks earlier <laughs> last year. And, but this is the next thing I know it, it seems like it. So I don't want to miss out. And then you get caught up in a scam. And, um, and a lot of times, just like uh, with other scams, the scams themselves have nothing to do with the actual thing, right? right. You could be scammed with the name NFT in there, but you never actually invested anything in an NFT. Somebody yeah. just took your money and told you that they did, right? right. right. That's a lot of the stuff. Some of the stuff's a little different. And I want to point out right, right now, this whole thing where adjacent to the whole artwork thing is the use of NFT in games. Right. So this is something I know a little bit about, the games, that is, because mm-hmm. all my life I've been involved in computer game development. And uh, it, it, you know I know a little bit about what it takes to make games and all of that. So the thing is that games are being developed and actually deployed right now where you buy items in in the game that are actually nfts so the nft represents an item in the game usually a card you know think you know a pokemon or magic the gathering or something like that where you could buy a card uh that has a value to it it's an nft so you have to actually go in and do stuff like use cryptocurrency to purchase these things you can't just Mm -hmm. pay cash um you get in the blockchain for those nfts as the owner of that nft Mm -hmm. um and that's a card that then you could go into the game and use to play so there's actually a use for it it's not just oh i own it and that's it it's actually, oh, I could take this. And now in the game, it shows me all the cards I own, all the mm-hmm. NFTs I own. And now I can go play a round of this game using the stuff I own and uh, you know, perhaps uh, win more often because I spent more money buying the NFTs. Uh, there's possibilities of, of winning and then winning somebody else's NFTs, I guess. But there's also the possibility of making money uh, from the developer of the game. So the developer of the game saying, uh, we're going to, you know, you buy these NFTs and, oh, by the way, when you play with them and you win, we'll give you cash. So that's the incentive is I'll, I'm going to buy the NFTs, which come from the developer. And now the developer has all this money 
And then they're saying, oh, you go in and you win, we'll pay you basically cash back. Uh, so it gives you incentive to buy more from the developer. Nothing that couldn't have been done before NFTs, by the way. Right. All of that was done in various ways by uh, companies before blockchain. Using, Sometimes, thing, using a thing called what? Money? Yeah, just regular <laughs> money. And a lot of the times you didn't get any money back because of gambling laws. Right. Um, you know, you couldn't, you you buy the stuff and then you could win because you bought more stuff than somebody else, but you didn't, couldn't actually win money back. Um, but sometimes you could. So, and sometimes you could just win stuff in game stuff back. And then right. you could go to kind of a black market where you could sell the stuff and get cash. Mm-hmm. Now I, I went ahead and said, Oh, let me look at who is developing these games, uh, for, with NFTs in them. And I found many lists that were like the top NFT games. Um, so I went and I did kind of my own survey of them, looking at what they were. I found uh, basically two main types. <laughs> One were games that actually are there. Like you can actually go in, sign up, buy some of these cards or objects or tokens or whatever they want to call them and, uh, and play in the game using your NFTs. These games were really low-level, simple card games. Very like Pokemon type stuff very simple okay they paint themselves as being like this is going to be you know like the futuristic virtual reality you know go in and uh, it's a whole thing 3d graphics it's going to be amazing it's going to be world of warcraft times 10 and you could own these objects but in fact all you're doing is like little cards of fish or something on the screen (laughs) very simple for some reason the phrase that came to mind was digital beanie babies but carry on yes very much so other and then and that to me was a little alarming because it seems the NFTs the eventual value of the NFTs depends on the quality of the game, right? If and that's not just for an NFT. If there's a regular game, you go and you pay cash for objects and you have the ability to trade those objects later. It's the same thing. If the game sucks, right? Then you know you bought an object for ten a sword for ten dollars in the game and you're like, great. And the game sucks. And a year later, hardly anybody's playing it. Good luck trying to find anybody to pay a penny for that sword, let right. alone $10. Right. Um, and so a lot of these games, I was appalled at the quality uh, of the game uh, or even the, the aspiration of the game. It's like, this is, this is people are paying, playing it now because of the excitement over NFTs, but they've got to step up and make it a good game. And, you know, that's not easy to do. It's extremely difficult for companies that are well-funded with tons of money and support and backing. And the top developers in the industry usually fail and try to make a game. It's only a few that succeed. Um, so I have no confidence that a random game that's just basically a bunch of cards right now is going to actually succeed. What's worse is that some of these aren't even games yet. You could go in, spend your money, buy the NFTs and get the so-called object, which is nothing but maybe a piece of art and a description, the game doesn't exist. It, they promise it will one day. But then if you look at the game, you're thinking, wow, that would be hard to pull off. If you told me that was electronic arts and they had $100 million and 150 of the best developers in the world, I'd say, hmm, I give it a 40% chance of it actually coming out. And that, that's probably generous. And so that's not a really good thing to base like, oh, I'm going to buy $4,000 worth of NFTs in this game and hope that the game actually comes out one day. And my $4,000 worth of NFTs are now worth more than that. 
it, it just the whole thing really made me very uneasy seeing that. And uh, I don't know quite what to make of it. Yep. Yep. I agree. I've thought about the the world of Warcraft since that's what I played for many years. Yeah. And yeah, I could see, you know, NFTs being a way of, of owning in-game items. There's a couple of interesting aspects to that. One is, yes, you can have um, NFTs uh, with, with uh, a limited count. For example, you could say, you know, there are only going to be 50 NFTs of this particular sort. So there'll only be 50, 50 swords. Uh, so first yeah. come, first serve, yeah. that's what, what gets you the scarcity. Yeah. But it's also, it's a closed system, right? It only works within that game. That sword right. is useless outside of the game or outside of other games that choose to implement that same um, um, that same mechanism. Right. Now, another use of NFTs that gets mentioned are for either tickets to events, uh, often future events that, you know, well, I, obviously all events are future events, but, you know, like event that maybe hasn't even scheduled yet or right. membership in some sort of group where the benefits yet aren't readily apparent. Right. And I think that, well, I don't know what to make of that either, because when I hear about, oh, yeah, you can buy a ticket to this event, but it's an NFT. And that's how you get in is you buy the NFT. And I think, well, what, what was wrong with the ticket? Right. I mean, a digital ticket, to be fair, I'm not talking about a paper ticket. I'm talking about a digital ticket. Like, what's wrong with that? Oh, well, NFTs, they're harder to, you know, you can't forge them. And so it's it's safer to do it as an NFT. I'm like, yeah, but that really wasn't a big problem beforehand. Like, there weren't pe- tons of people getting ripped off uh, somehow in a way that NFTs are now going to solve that problem. Right. Right. As a matter of fact, I see this as... Okay, so say somebody you like, let's say a band or maybe a speaker is going to have an event. And in order to go to that event, you need to purchase this NFT. And only the owners of those NFTs are going to get into the event. Mm-hmm. Again, it sounds just like a ticket to me, except a <laughs> ticket, I could go online and in one form, I could autofill my credit card information, purchase the ticket, and I'm done. Now it's an NFT. Now it's way harder to purchase that ticket. Now, because it's an NFT, I probably have to use cryptocurrency to purchase it. I probably have to go through all sorts of hoops to actually get from, I have money, I want a ticket. And now it's like way more complex. We spent the last 25 years trying to make it easier to buy things online. And now NFTs come along and say, oh, we found a way to make it way more difficult to buy things online. In fairness, in fairness, the NFT folks will tell you that, yes, that is in fact the current state of the world. But um, that's the kind of a thing that as NFTs and blockchain and cryptocurrency all mature and all Mm -hmm. essentially take over the world, then yes, eventually they too will become as seamless or perhaps more seamless than your your credit card. But again, that's a promise of the future, not the reality of today. I absolutely agree. Right. Uh, So I've got uh, basically, I've got, I mean, a few more things. One is uh, that I've got this thought that maybe we should hush up about this because maybe this whole thing is really good for the redistribution of wealth. What I mean by that is a lot of people are buying NFTs at incredibly high prices that apparently have nothing better to do with that money, right? When you hear about somebody spending $100,000 on a piece of digital art, I think, wow, somebody had $100,000. They really had nothing else they needed it for. And maybe the person producing that art actually needs it to pay rent or mortgage or art supplies or whatever it is. Um, So maybe every once in a while having 
things like this that come around, as long as you stay out of it, like if you can't spare $100,000, as long as you don't spend that, but somebody who does have $100,000 burning a hole in their pocket does, maybe this is fine. It's <laughs> like funny. maybe, you know, why I've, not? I've heard um, NFTs as um, a, a different way to express patronage. Right, a different way. Yeah. So you want to you want to support a creator, so you buy NFTs of their yeah. work. Well, great, but like you said, we've got solutions for that right now. Yes, we um, do. We're, in fact, you and I both yes. are using those kind of solutions, Patreon or even my own roll my own shopping cart that allows people if they want to give me money for no other reason than giving me money, they yeah. can. Uh, they want to show support for my work, they can, and they do. So I'm not sure that NFTs add a whole lot to that either. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to point out, which I think was a really interesting circular argument I came up with, is while we were, when I was basically doing my notes for this, for a while I paused and I said, maybe, maybe I should, maybe we shouldn't do this episode, right? <laughs> Neither of us, we're used to talking about things we're experts about. Okay. And Neither of us, you know, we are experts on this. You're a little bit more of an expert than I am. Um, so maybe we shouldn't talk about this uh, and leave it up to the experts to talk about it. And then I thought, well, so if we talk about it, what will happen? Well, it could be something like if we talked about Bitcoin 10 years ago, and then 10 years later, people could listen to this and say, and laugh at us and say, boy, they didn't know what they were talking about 10 years ago. Maybe that happens here. Maybe 10 years from now. People listen to this episode. Um, I just saddled for them listen to it right now. But 10 years from now, people listen to it and they say, boy, Gary and Leo really didn't know what they were talking about back then. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe we shouldn't do the episode because of that. I am totally okay with being called a fool 10 years from now. Um, <laughs> well, so, and, and to be fair, I mean, yeah. what did I start the episode with? Yes, disclaimer, disclaimer that says we have no idea what we're talking about, but we're going to talk about it anyway. But my feeling was that I almost like decided to <laughs> tell you not to do this. That Let's not do this. Sure, sure. Let's do something else. And then it occurred to me, maybe that's a lot of what's going on here. Yes. Maybe there's a lot of people like us that are saying, I don't want to write this blog post about NFTs because I don't feel I have a complete grasp or I don't want to do this podcast on them or I don't want to you know, advise whoever was asking me about it. Right. Maybe there's a lot of that going on, which is one of the things that's propelling yep. NFTs forward is the fact that the people, you know, you either understand them, uh, you either understand them completely, but if you don't, then it, your misgivings are kind of dismissed. And I use the example, I put it here in the notes of um, if you want to assess whether a house is structurally sound, right? You have, you should be an engineer, right? If I wanted to know whether my house was structurally sound, I am not going to listen to anybody but an engineer to give me that answer. However, on the other end of that, you don't need to be an engineer to have worries, right? Right. Like, if somebody were to come into my house and say, I'm not an engineer, but I'm a little worried about the condition of your house, I would take them seriously. Mm -hmm. But if they came in and said, oh, I'm not an engineer, but I could tell you this house is perfectly sound, then I would not believe them. So you see what I'm saying? It's like yes. a, a positive versus negative thing. Yes. It's the same thing here. I would never tell anybody, advise anybody about whether to buy NFTs or 
whether they are all solid and all that stuff, because I'm not an NFT expert. However, I know enough to be worried. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. One of the reasons, one of my reactions when I saw that comment in your notes was simply that you and I, we, in in a sense, we represent a constituency. We represent a readership and those readerships, uh, the folks that, that uh, are in our audience, they have questions. Mm. And one of the things, one of the approaches that I've been trying to do as I researched this was, okay, great. Give me an answer that I can give to quote unquote, the average consumer. And that's why I said earlier that I've been spectacularly unsuccessful at getting that answer, which is frustrating. And I think feeds to your concern. Um, There are things about all of this that are, again, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of promise here, a lot of cool technology, a lot of things and problems that this may end up solving in the long run. However, um, the amount of risk is astronomical. Um, I did run in, I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast on this topic uh, earlier mm-hmm. today, actually. And a line he uh, he threw out was kind of funny. NFTs make cryptocurrencies look like treasury bonds. Cryptocurrencies already are incredibly volatile. Treasury bonds being, you know, one of the more stable mm-hmm. yeah. uh, investments known to uh, known to most investors these days. Cryptocurrencies are incredibly volatile in comparison. So NFTs making them look stable means that NFTs are even more volatile. They're just they're just so so scary in that sense. A lot of people are making money right now, but I, 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 yeah. yeah, oh yeah, people, <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, saying that uh, that's the trap. I think is if you go and you say NFTs, no, stay away from them. You could point out, well, yeah, but so and so made millions right. just the other week. Well, but that's true of casinos too. You know, you could say, don't waste your money in a casino. Gambling's not worth it. Oh yeah, yes. Just yesterday, the three people made a million dollars at this casino. So how could you say that? It's like, well, because most people lost money. Yep. Just because a few people made money doesn't mean it's a sound investment. Um, and and you know, when you think of uh, treasury bonds or stocks. Which uh, you know, there's there's a thing of value behind a treasury bond or stock, and the thing that you're investing in is going to continue to increase in value. Like a stock, it's a company, and you're mm-hmm. saying that company is going to be worth more tomorrow than it is today, which is why I've invested in that stock. Mm-hmm. And when you look at an NFT, you have to look at that as well. Taking a piece of digital art, if you can make the claim that whatever part ownership you've got through the NFT of that digital art, if that digital art is going to be worth more tomorrow than it is today, then sure, it must be a good investment if you think that, right? But it's harder to to make that claim for a piece of art. A company produces products, gains market share, has patents and new ideas, uh, provides services and signs up new members to their service. All these things to generate value. You know, I mean, just coming up with new products is in itself uh, something that generates value. Art doesn't necessarily have that. And I'll bet that the vast majority of art produced in the world loses value, Right. but we never hear about that. We never right. hear about your uncle's painting that he did <laughs> and, you know, and put it oh, up it, on the wall and, or sold it, it for a hundred bucks because somebody thought it would look nice in their living room. 
it and doesn't never have to be, be your random uncle. I mean, I know lots of, of artists, both professional and amateur, they're in it because it's their passion, yeah. but they can't see it as a money-making proposition simply because, as you say, art most art isn't that valuable and most art loses value over time. Well, right. Um, and I'd, I'd say that the, the, and most art, the most money made is from the creator to the first buyer. And yes. And I think that's a very different thing. That's, that's a very different thing because the creator did not invest in the art. They made it mm-hmm. right. There was nothing. They created something. Mm-hmm. Now that something is worth something. And they sold it to somebody. Now the second person now is an investor, right? They didn't make anything. All they did was pay money for it. Right. The only way they make money is if the value happens to go up. Now there is a um, uh, a caveat to that particular scenario, and it's something yeah. we haven't talked about. Um, I've I've avoided talking about the fact that most NFTs run the Ethereum blockchain, not the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Ethereum is much more than a cryptocurrency. They have these things called smart contracts, which um, uh, basically can do things automatically. Um, I haven't even gone down that, that rapid hole far enough to really talk about it le- uh, reasonably. But one of the things that I have heard some NFTs can be crafted to do is to provide a a revenue stream Mm. for the initial creator. So for example, you create a piece of art and you sell that piece of art to somebody Mm. else. You get some amount of money or, you know, digital currency, whatever. When that person in turn sells that art again, you as the creator are still involved and you get a cut. Um, And that continues down the chain of resales. I find that at least an intriguing concept, mm. right? I that, do too. That there's a way for the original artist to continue to receive value uh, every time their piece of art changes hand hands. That's I think it's something that uh, isn't fully baked yet, but I like the promise. I really do. I, I like that too, and and that does point to the way to make you know, the best, the best use of NFTs is to create something, not necessarily to be the person buying and selling. Right. And I like that (laughs) to me, that speaks to me um, as probably being maybe a better way to to do things, at least for, at least for art. So So the, one of the other things we haven't talked about are, Mm -hmm. uh, so I've just talked about, you know, this, this, uh, the Ethereum blockchain, ether as a cryptocurrency, smart contracts, DAOs, right? Distributed yeah. Autonomous Organizations, which essentially is, I, mean, I don't even know how to describe it anymore. Um, it's you, know, you as a bunch of stakeholders in an organization, and you're all peers, I guess, depending on how much of the the DAO NFT you happen to have purchased. But doesn't that all sound kind of like um, a centralized organization where everybody owns some stock. I just, I don't know. I I, I tried to read up on DAOs today. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is that it's, it becomes this decentralized thing, right? So, you know, it's not back, there's no government involvement there. And then there's also, you know, there's not this board of directors that it kind of has this control and kind of mess things up. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It kind of exists. As this entity, I didn't really see much though that couldn't have been done 
without the blockchain. Right. Um, maybe it's safer to do in the blockchain, but you could certainly draw up a company and include all of those things in it, right? It may be harder to enforce, maybe easier to break apart. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of what I read, the word voting appeared in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Right. The idea being that if you know, a hundred people own a hundred different pieces of this company and the company could be like a nonprofit, you know, raise a charity, everybody mm-hmm. puts money in and then you vote on where that money goes to charity. That That's the kind of example that's used a lot. Not, not something, uh, you know, like a big corporation or something like that, but, right. but the whole idea of voting to me, it's like, that always sounds really good until there's a lot of disagreement. Right. And, or until there's like this, you know, uh, if you have a hundred people that own, you know, or buy into this DAO, um, you know, if four of them are really informed on what the DAO should be doing and 96 of them are not, you could end up in a very frustrating situation, normally called democracy. Uh, (laughs) I was going down that path too. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, so to me, I was like, interesting and i'm sure it's one of those things that will find its place but i don't know if it's like a like a major like a big deal kind right. of kind of situation i don't know i don't know it's probably the sort of thing that needs to exist in the and needs to be experimented with before people figure out what works and what doesn't with it so one of the things that's clear is that with respect to um, all of this technology nfts specifically um, we're in the early days. We really are. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of people out there trying random things. Some of them are working. Some of them aren't. Um, you know, NFTs in and of themselves, um, they are, um, as you put in your notes, they're not scams. They can be used for scams, just like any other technology can be used for scams. I think that one of the phrases you hear a lot when you hear a lot of discussion about NFTs um, and potentially even uh, digital currency is that to many people, it comes across as a Ponzi scheme. And um, it's not. It is not a Ponzi scheme. Uh, It's not the kind of a, you know, in in that traditional, you know, multi-level marketing type thing where you're you're feeding your upstream and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But but I think it feels like a Ponzi scheme because so many times when you start to ask the hard questions, when you start to get or want to get the clarification of exactly what is it that's happening here? You can't get a straight answer. Um, mm. And and depending on who you're talking to, you can often get a lot of tap dancing and a lot of sidestepping. And it's really, really frustrating, but it's the same kind of tap dancing and frustrating response that you would get if you were asking somebody, hey, you know what, is this thing we're dealing with a Ponzi scheme you know, out in the real world? Um, you know, is this multi-level marketing? Uh, it's the same kind of avoidance you get from those kind of people that you, we now seem to be getting from the people who are not answering our NFT questions. And that's yes. frustrating. Um, so I definitely, like I said, I don't believe NFTs or digital currencies are actual Ponzi schemes. They can be used to, to implement a Ponzi scheme, I suppose. But um, but a lot of the uh, user education, a lot of the a lot of the the information that is out there, um, it just feels very very scam-ish, just in the lack of clarity and some of the answers that we keep looking for. Right. One of the things I hear a lot about is um, you know they're safer. They're actually safer from scams because you can't for like you all the stuff you're saying at the beginning. You can't forge the right. blockchain and all of that. Right. However, 
I, I still think it could lead to some really interesting theft. Oh, sure. um, going back to your your uh, deed, your King County deed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If somebody were to show up with a piece of paper that said they owned your piece of property, mm-hmm. there's a way to deal with that now. Yep. They would have to sue you and you'd go to court and a bunch of human beings would actually review all the information and figure out what's going on. Now, if you wanted to, if you owned a, an NFT and I claimed that I owned the NFT, I wouldn't have a leg to stand on because it clearly shows on the blockchain that you own it, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So here's the situation. Let's say I own an NFT and you want that NFT from me. Let's say I want to give it to you. What happens? Well, I press a bunch of keys on my keyboard and eventually that NFT becomes yours. Those keys I press are going to probably be doing things to transfer that NFT to you, right? Right. To give you ownership of it. But all I'm actually doing is pressing one key after the other in the proper order. And now I've done the proper things with all my, my, my password and all that stuff to now transfer the, you know, that NFT to you. What happens if I'm not that bright and you're very bright and you convince me to hit those same keys in that same order and transfer the NFT to you? And I'm not smart enough to realize that's what I just did. You've just taken it from me. You've scammed me out of my thing, my NFT. Sure. Now I go and say, hey, wait a minute. No, you took my NFT. And you say, I have no idea what you're talking about. You gave it to me fair and square. I'm like, no, I, I didn't. You stole it from me. Well, there's nothing I could do about it now. Right. Right. If it was a deed to a house and I forged some papers, there's a lot. That you know, I could uh, you could do to protect yourself, but with the NFT, it's like nope, done deal. You press those keys in that order, and now the NFT is somebody else's. That actually is one of the scarier things about the blockchain underlying all of this, Mm -hmm. and that is that um, you've heard, of course, of people losing their digital wallet. Yeah, what that really means is they've lost the private key that would allow them to prove they are the correct owner of whatever this is on the blockchain. If they lose that, if you lose your key, Mm. um, it ain't coming back. There's no recovery, zero, Uh, which is why uh, there's an apocryphal story of some guy, I think he's in England, who offered his uh, city council like hundreds of thousands of dollars for the right to go through their landfill yeah. looking for his hard disk mm-hmm. that accidentally got thrown away and contains his private key. Yeah, uh, They turned him down. But the bottom line is that that's the kind of thing that I actually worry about. Scams, sure. That, that, scams are going to happen no matter what. The, you know, a new, new technology just breeds new types of scams. But um, th- this, this one particular thing where you end up losing your digital key loses everything um, is, I find, uh, perhaps the most frightening thing. And to be clear, this is the kind of stuff that really, really, really doesn't make it ready for prime time uh, for our, uh, our average consumer. Well, oh, that went oh, on for a while. 
Yes, you would. And, and and again, we could we could easily talk about this stuff for another hour. There's so many. Uh, I don't know if "easily" is the right the right word, but yes, there are so many other things we could. Uh, I'm exhausted. I'm going to have to take a take a nap after take this. Nap. Yeah, I think I think there's some whiskey downstairs that's that's waiting for me. Um. So, uh, but listener. If you've got questions, drop them in on the um, uh, on the show notes for this episode. I'll mention them later. That's going to be uh, 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 tehpodcast.com slash teh151. I say that because I'm really curious what aspects of this um, have people interested. Mm. Uh, you know, where, what are the pieces we didn't fill in? Uh, what are the pieces that we we were a little too muddy about? Not that we aren't muddy about it ourselves, but it will at least potentially give us a, uh, some ideas on where to research next. Mm. Uh, let's see. So there was something else that we threw on the show notes or into the, into the list just because we both wanted to mention the Webb telescope. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's something to, uh, something to put the E, the enthusiast in the TEH. Oh, I'm enthusiastic right. about NFTs and technology. Uh, yes. It's just the okay. usage that that has me concerned. But yes, yes, this is definitely something we were both enthusiastic about, the Webb Telescope. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, wow. I mean, uh, the things that we will probably, I mean, you know, think of what the Hubble has done right. over right. the last 30 years. I will. Ex- this I will, is so much more. Yeah. I will admit to being scared in the sense that yes. <laughs> um, I, I was, you know, if, I did not watch the launch live because it was like four or five in the morning here. Yeah. But uh, uh, I just, you know, statistically, we haven't had a rocket blow up for a while. It would suck if it were this one, you know? Oh, um, yeah. And plus, if you re, if you, you know, make the mistake of reading about all of the things that need to happen. Yes, the 360 the single points of failure. Yes. Oh my. <laughs> you look at it, you're, it, you, you know, you basically, when you're done reading about that, you're like, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, hope it, it, you know, I, the only thing that made me feel good, and I, this was like a weird, you know, it's going to what, Lagrange point number two. Right. We won't get into that now, but it does seem when you hear about like where it's got to go, what it's got to do to be where it's supposed to be, you're like, holy cow, that is a lot to do. But then, I looked it up and of course we've done several, we put several things there. Yes. There's actually a couple of things at Lagrange points right now. So it's like, oh, okay. So we have we have done some of this before. We I mean, not all the mirror part. unfolding and all that yes. stuff. Yes. But <laughs> so. at least the, you know, the idea of uh God, what I heard somebody uh talk about it, you know, it, it's basically like trying to hit a baseball, you know, and have it like at the top of the arc kind of land in kind of a little cup at the top of a house. You know, just, you know, just like, you know, and it just ends up right there because it's got to, it has to stop at this Lagrange point and basically just stop there. Right. And, but, you know, you can't, it's not like a car where it can hit the brakes. There are no brakes in space, right? It's got to be done perfect. But anyway, this space telescope, you know, hopefully it'll work. And it's amazing enough that I have to believe that it will work, even if for some reason this particular one, there's a problem. It's just too, too important. There'll be another one, right? I don't know. It just seems like we need this. This is like the, the, the thing that the next logical step in a lot of science is to have this type of telescope doing this kind of research. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to be super excited. It's so painful to have to wait six months, six months. I know. <laughs> and then it's, you know, it's going to be months before we start to see stuff. And, and then any science that's actually done will take years, right? right? You know, there are probably scientists right now that are 
you know, waiting, here's the experiment we need to run. We need to look at this and we look at this. Then we need to look at all the data. Then it needs to be peer reviewed. I mean, so we're years from actually having like new discoveries published and Nobel prizes won and all that kind of stuff. Um, I and, read somewhere you know, where they were um, slicing up the available time on the device as uh, well. There's so many different organizations and scientists that want to uh, want to do things with it. I know. So anyway, but it's it's super exciting and um, it, it also humbling in that you know when you read about it, you realize well we we know all the stuff about the universe now, and it's really probably just probably a fraction of what there is to know right. <laughs> uh, about astro uh, astronomy and astrophysics. And, and the, uh, this web telescope is going to reveal another big chunk of that to us. So exciting. Yep. I'm going to say that's our ain't it cool for this week, just because we're running so long on time. Okay. Um, so in terms of, you know, like I've said before, we have no ads. We just promote our own stuff. Mine is why is Backup First your recommendation for everything? Uh, it's askleo.com slash 33048. And yes, I have reasons. It's an important article. You really should back up first, no matter what. Hmm. And certainly back up your crypto keys, okay? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, for me, you know, one of the things I've learned doing Mac most for 14, 15 years now is that uh, people consistently will buy hard drives that are too small. Um, all the time. So uh, one of the most common questions that gets asked is, oh, my hard drive's almost full. How do I clear off space? Mm -hmm. And um, there are a ton of little places to look, little things to be like, hey, have you looked here? Maybe you've got this file. And if you do, you probably can get rid of it, that kind of deal. So I did a video on uh, 20 ways to free up disk space on your Mac. So 20 places to look on your Mac and say, hey, I don't need this, or I can get rid of that, or I can shrink this file down that kind of thing, and then maybe get back many gigabytes of space um, and uh, you know, do, do a little bit better with your Mac because you've got you know, a disk that isn't almost full. Right, right. Yeah. It's funny, on any machine that I get where I can't end yeah. up replacing the hard disk at some point in the future, yeah. just by definition, I get the maximum size available. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, it's, it's way, like I have way more disk space than I need today. <laughs> right. But I know that in, in the year or two or three, uh, I'm going to have a bunch more. Uh, maybe sometime we'll talk about my framework laptop because that's the same thing. I, I, in that case, everything is replaceable. So I didn't have to do that, but, uh, but yep. Yep. Common question for windows users too. Yep. I think that pretty much wraps us up for yes. our probably one of our lengthiest episodes ever. Yes. Uh, certainly in terms of notes, which are at tehpodcast.com slash teh151. If you've got a comment or a question, uh, just go hit us up there or on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH podcast. Thanks for listening, as always. And we will see you here again, hopefully, next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.